Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of Guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. Hello, everybody. Um, as you can probably tell by my, uh, my slightly nasally tone, uh, I've got a bit of a cold as has pretty much everybody these days. Um, also, I've just revealed to you that I re-record that little intro bit every single episode. Not sure why I do it. I think it's just a tradition there more than anything. Um, hope everybody is well. I have a great show coming up today. Uh, my guest is Susan Arndt. She's the, uh, she's the executive editor for Games Radar US and, and has had a, a storied and wonderful career in, in video games journalism. And this is an interesting one because uh, I wasn't uh, aware of Susan. And I think somebody on Twitter must have retweeted something she had written like years ago. Uh, she'd written it for, for One Up like three or four years ago. And it was this beautiful story uh, about playing Missile Command with, with her dad. And it just kind of it encapsulated everything that I wanted to do with this show. You know, how, how a game can can be such a... a an important memory and can really sort of impact lives in in positive ways out with the things we you know we normally associate with with video games um and so i sent her a message and said look i love this story this is exactly what i want to do on, on my podcast uh, would you like to to come on and, and chat about your life in video games and she said yes i'd love to and sometimes sometimes it's just that easy um not, not always but but sometimes it is and it was a really lovely chat she was a uh, wonderful fun to talk to and a uh, really interesting sort of career in uh, in video games and video game journalism uh, especially it was uh, it was amazing and and speaking of guests like i've seen uh, someone on neogaf very kindly recommended the show but but they sort of explained that it's a show where i interview developers and while that is mostly the case because those are the people that have you know the most investment in video games i guess but that that was never uh, never the intention with the show, and I've had a lot of people on that that have no direct relation to video games, like uh, musicians and comedians and PR people and analysts, and you know do do dig back and listen to uh, a few of those. I've definitely got a few more of those coming up uh, as well. Um, that's not to say you know please do talk about the show on on forums. I would encourage that very very much, as I would telling friends, rate and review on iTunes, all that good stuff. Um, it's always very appreciated. And if, of course, if you really like the show, there's a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. Um, had a couple of new donations over the Christmas period. Uh, thank you very much to everybody who has. If you have the money and the inclination, uh, all donations are very gratefully received. Um, also, uh, just sort of doing admin stuff, I guess, like you'll have uh, heard me on a few of the previous episodes asking for uh, indie devs that are kind of just starting out or just making their first game. Had a really lovely response to that. I've got a, a bunch of people now lined up, a few episodes in the can, so I'm currently sort of building that episode. Should hopefully be out in February, but but who knows? Um, if you want to get in touch, you can email the show. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com, or it's at checkpointshow on Twitter, or it's checkpointspodcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. And please do, you know, follow the show on Twitter, like the page on Facebook. It's always, uh, always appreciated. Um, okay, I think that's everything. Uh, until next week, where I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest, let's get on with the show. Um, okay, well, let's do, for the, for the sake of, of tradition and formality, let's do a, an introduction. So, uh, Susan, welcome to Checkpoints. Thanks so much for coming on. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, uh, my name's Susan Arndt. That's how you pronounce my last name, Arndt, just like Arnott. And I, I am currently the executive editor in the U.S. for Games Radar Plus, and I'm also the co-founder of Take This. And why is Take This? Uh, Take This is a uh, nonprofit dedicated to increasing empathy, education, and awareness about mental health issues in the gamer community. 
That's very interesting. Actually, I just uh, last week, in fact, I went to see on the World Mental Health Day. Um, a friend of mine, like I, I, I write some. I write for theatre and TV. I, I write scripts, and a friend of mine had written a show all about video games and mental health and video games and depression. Oh, wow! Uh, called Super Awesome World. It was a work in progress, but it was excellent. Um, oh, very, wow. very upsetting and moving and fun. It was really good. It was really. Good. I would be very interested to know more about that. I will send you a link. I'll send you a link. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, the, the thing, and not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but um, anecdotally, okay. So the there there there's been a study. I believe it was Harvard. Uh, one in four people have a mental health issue of some kind. Now that's mm-hmm. everything from very very basic anxiety all the way up to you know more much more serious conditions. Anecdotally, in our community, it's more like half. It's more like two and four, and we're far less likely to actually seek treatment for it because it's just yet another thing that makes us weird and we're less likely to talk about it. So what we do, what we do at Take This is encourage people to understand that it's just a medical condition. It's not different from a physical condition. You know, if you're, if you can't see too well, you get glasses, right? Cause your eyes don't work properly. Absolutely. Well, sometimes, sometimes your brain doesn't work properly. So you go to the doctor and you get what you need to make it okay. And uh, we encourage people to talk about it because the more that you talk about it, the more we normalize it, the more people get help and uh, live the best version of their lives that they can. Absolutely. Um, that, that's, uh, I find that not hard to believe, but uh, surprising, I suppose, that that it's, you would say it was like 50% amongst people who sort of play video games, enjoy video games. Like how, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong necessarily. It's just that that, that surprises me actually. For some reason. Well, again, this is this is anecdotally. I mean, this is just based on my experience. Um, I don't have a, a formal study. To okay, back okay, up that okay. Number. The, the one in four is actually a formal study, and there's evidence to back that up. Uh, the two in four is is just based on the people that I go out and meet. Uh, we have uh, what are called AFK rooms at PAX. Uh, at every PAX, which is a room where folks can, uh, we have medical clinicians on staff. For the entire length of the show and if people get a little overwhelmed during the show which is very easy to do even if you don't have a mental health issue absolutely because at at any convention there there's so many people and you're uncomfortable and you probably haven't slept and you probably haven't eaten it's very very easy to be overwhelmed or just get stressed out or just need a moment to just sort of you know regain your emotional calm and so we provide afk rooms so people can do that either under their own steam or if they need a little help we're there to help that's a lovely thing. I, th- I think just just purely like especially at things like that with like big conferences and stuff, just having like a, a chill out room, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. is is just that's a nice option to have to know that you can just go somewhere and just like relax for a second mm-hmm. and not be approached. And yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, well, exactly. well, I'm I'm, I'm yeah, pleased that that's going well. It, yeah, we're we're super happy uh, about how it's been going. We started in 2012, and uh, I've just seen more and more. And more acceptance of it every year that we've done it, and people just being more okay with saying, you know what, <laughs> I'm getting a little freaked out. I just need a minute, and just being more comfortable admitting that, uh, you know, my brain isn't working quite right in this moment, and yeah. that doesn't mean I'm weird or a freak or whatever. It just means I got a condition going on right this second. I think that's one of the the big. Like, like I was talking to someone about this the other day, actually, because we were saying how, like, when we were younger, there, there wasn't there wasn't this discussion, there wasn't this kind of awareness, essentially, of, of sort of mental conditions, and and that I think that is genuinely like as as love it or loathe it, that's one of the the great things of the internet and social media is that people purely because people can share, they they do share. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. sometimes for better or worse, but nevertheless, it, it gets things stirred up, you know, if nothing else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The internet it can be an amazing positive resource. Absolutely, there's no question. Oh yeah, I think it's a net positive, regardless. Like, there's yeah, some would, awful I, things, I but say, it is yeah. a net positive. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Okay, well let's let's talk about video games then, Susan. Now, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I wasn't um, hugely familiar with with your work in like just previous. Like, I, I don't know how because I've read a lot of those websites. Um, but I, you were brought to my attention because somebody I, I followed retweeted uh, a, a tweet of yours, and it was a link to an old—I think it was on One Up, was it? Uh, one Up article was, yeah. 
yeah. about your this memory you have of, of playing a game with with your dad and how yeah. how kind of pivotal like that 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 memory is and how important that is to you and, and that that is kind of the whole premise of this show is is you know the games that kind of in the same way that a song you know would represent a specific moment or a mm-hmm. specific time a game can do that you know just as well if if not more so in some instances um so i'm i'm really looking forward to this so um let's go way back susan if you can remember yes. uh, <laughs> what was your very first experience of a video game uh the very first video game i ever played was pong okay except it wasn't it wasn't actual pong it was okay so not the fancy arcade machine uh no 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 and it wasn't even the the home version of pong it was you know digital table tennis or what have you it used to be back in the day children it was very very easy to copy video games because there there wasn't any law against it you could just call it something else and i'm pretty uh, sure there was a law but just not as uh, not as widely known now this is fine this is a very common theme this is this is abundant through everybody's stories well enforced so that's why you had the sears vcs and the atari 2600 it was just delightful anyway so yeah so that was the first uh video game i played was some home version of pong the first arcade game i remember playing was pac-man which was awesome and did they have like were they profound experiences or were they just like oh it's another toy or or did they land like the monolith or something no okay so here's the thing this and this is something that i'm not sure will modern people listening to this will understand but back when i was a kid i'm very old by the way back when i was a kid the tv was the centerpiece of your household that is what your family did together was watch TV. You know, you had dinner and then you got together and you watched TV at night. And this is back before VCRs, before DVR, before cable. So that you, there were commercials, the commercial break, that was your opportunity to go to the bathroom, to run and get a sandwich, whatever, but you had to do it fast enough to get back to the room because the, the show would just keep going without you. There was no pausing. Absolutely. Nothing like that. So that you, you, your entertainment was very much structured around the schedule of the television. It was kind of magical in that way. And so when my dad got us an Atari 2600, actually it was a Sears VCS, uh, for the house, the 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 fact that I was making something move on the television screen was the most magical, powerful thing I had ever seen in my very young life. And how how was, old are you at this point, if you don't mind I was me asking? Six. Six. I was six. That's a good age Maybe for it. Depending on, yeah, it was. I mean, it, my dad was a wizard. And because because he did things behind the television set, <laughs> which, you know, that was and this is in the days when uh, TV still had tubes and the, the TV repairman would come to the house and it was one of those big console sets. And it was so big and heavy that you had to be a, a grown up man to move it and move it out of the corner so that he could get back behind there. And all he was doing was screwing off the cardboard on the back and then sticking in the tubes and then screwing it back on. But to me. This was, you know, this was alchemy. And so if my dad went back there and he did some stuff with tools and then all of a sudden I could control things on the TV. This, I mean, this was literally magic to me. I just, I couldn't, I had no clue how it all accomplished, but I thought it was just miraculous. And from that day forward, that video games were this, this, futuristic thing to me they're amazing and and so like where why did your dad bring home this this bcs was this a a family gift was this just for the kids was this for everybody was this secretly for him (laughs) my dad loved technology he was what would now be referred to as an early adopter whenever he could be because he was uh, you know as is very traditional uh, he was the breadwinner Mm -hmm. and he had two children he was raising and so Finances did not always allow for him to be an early adopter. But when he could get away with saying it was for the kids, you better believe he used us as an, an, an excuse. So it was actually a Christmas present for me and my brother. But it was like 
let me try playing that with you. And then my dad would uh, would play it, not as much as us, but he, he definitely got some rounds in because he just thought technology was super cool. And like that we had a Betamax before everybody else. We had a, a, a compete. Well, no, not before everybody else, but we had all sorts of trinkets and, and things uh, when when we could manage it. So, yeah, it was That's, I, I, I love that because that, that, that is still um, through all the people I've spoken to so far, that is still quite rare. The um, like the, the kind of techie dad is very common and the dad bringing home some sort of computer or something. But the 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 kind of the, the parents joining in with the games is is still like a relatively rare thing so it's always lovely to hear sure. yeah but certainly in my experience absolutely zero interest at all oh well that would that would be my mom my mom just she wanted no part of it she didn't like it she didn't she thought it was dumb uh but my dad was was definitely into it and so was that you kind of set then was that your family on the kind of on the console bandwagon were you sort of getting all the next ones no, actually, so once we um, once we were through the uh, Atari, we had that for a long time, and then we didn't have another uh, video game console until I think I was in college. Actually, no I bought it myself. Yeah, like my brother, my brother became a, a popular kid, and you know, video games were for nerds and. Da, 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 da. So if uh, for something that expensive and and at the time it was very expensive. Oh yeah. You know, uh, if he couldn't justify it for both of us, then we didn't get it. For for like high ticket items, you, you just you had to be able. Both kids had to get something out of it, or else you know, we just we just couldn't swing it financially. So that was the last one uh, my parents ever got me. So were you just like bereft then that you didn't have this in your life anymore? Or did you just play with friends? I, or I played the living hell out of that thing. See, I was perfectly happy. Like, I didn't care that I didn't have the next Atari and the next Atari. I was a little bummed I didn't have an Intellivision. But I was convinced that the, the, the Atari had better games. Um, and I just kept playing it. I just, it was, there were a gazillion games for it. And so I just added to my collection of games when I could. And I was very, very happy to just keep playing them or just to play the ones that I had. I always had some sort of goal I was trying to achieve. Uh, I wanted to get a perfect game in Pitfall 2 because in Pitfall 2, it is it is possible to get a perfect score. There is a beginning, middle and end to that game. Uh, I wanted to, you know, get a certain score in barnstorming or I would come up with new ways to play the games to sort of create challenges for myself like it would be left hand versus right hand oh man you were doing like games that. done quick 20 years earlier exactly yeah 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 exactly blindfold I run. Would, uh, i'd turn the i could clear the first screen of, of space invaders with my eyes shut i used to be able to do so, that with alex kid and miracle world on the sega yeah. mass system for the exact same reason it was the only thing i had and i just played that forever yeah but i loved it i wasn't like playing it because i was well, there's nothing else to do. I genuinely loved it. I played Adventure. I couldn't even tell you how many times I played Adventure and Haunted House and Maze Craze. I just loved them so much that I was I was happy to just play the same stuff over and over and over again. That is amazing. And was there, like, as you said, you know, your brother became this popular kid and so it's, video games are still very much a, a niche pursuit. Did you... Did you have friends? Did you like form a, a friend group around games? Did anyone you know play games nope. that you kind of share this enthusiasm with? No? Nope. I mean, everybody at that time uh, played video games to a greater or letter, lesser extent. It was just, it was, it was kind of like mobile games are now. Yeah. Everybody did it, and then there were varying degrees of fandom associated with it. So yeah, like all my friends had some video games, and they played some, but there wasn't anybody else who was like, wow, man, this is so cool. And who was, was super into learning secrets and stuff like that. That didn't happen until much later for me. That didn't happen until I was in college. And my friends and I, that was when uh, Super Mario 3 came out. And we would get together on Saturday night. And that's what we would do is we would play Super Mario 3 and we would take turns with like, okay, well, this this life, 
you've got this life, go as far as you can on, on one life. And then when you died, you handed it off to the next person. And was that was that amazing? Was that like to, to, to have this kind of peer group essentially who shared your, your passion and your, your love of video games? Was that was that like, I, I imagine that would just be an amazing thing if you've grown up kind of not like, you know, not painting a picture of this sort of sad, lonely girl, but just, you know, you, you have this passion for something, but you can't really share it with anyone. And then suddenly there's this whole group of people. So let's play Super Mario on Saturday night. And everyone's like, yes, that is a brilliant idea. Yeah. That's no, got to feel good. It was it was great because, I mean, I the neighborhood I grew up in didn't have very many children. And the kids who were there were mostly boys. And young boys don't want to play with young girls. And I like they're all off, you know, playing baseball or whatever. And I'm like, hey. And they're like, yeah, no, uh-uh, no, see ya. And so I I was at home reading mystery books. I'm like, this part is stereotypical. Like, yeah, nerd, straight nerd. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading Encyclopedia Brown. I'm I'm writing my own mysteries. Uh, you know, I'm I'm watching Sherlock Holmes movies. I'm that person. And so and uh, and I was in the advanced classes, so I'm the smart kid and uh, <laughs> all that stereotype, the whole bit. So to get to a point where where I was not being teased or ignored for liking the nerdy thing but instead it was a yeah this oh my god i can't believe you figured that out wow you're so, I, I was the only one who could beat the sun level in super mario 3 nobody else could do it so that was like okay then off to susan she's the <laughs> one who has to do this level because that was that was really great that was kind of my first inkling that maybe i was okay just the way i was yeah, I mean, I think that's classic for sort of the, the, yeah, the nerdier yeah. kids. When you go to university, that's when you, you realize, oh, my God, this is amazing. There's loads of people like me, especially kind of pre-internet. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that, that's the thing. If you didn't grow up on the internet, it's hard to understand just how isolated you could be because you're limited to the people in your neighborhood and then in whatever school yeah. you attend. That is your view of the universe. Because there isn't anything else. So uh, my, my, my college was, was mm, uh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful institution. I got an excellent education there. But I wouldn't say there were loads of people like me at it. They, they tended, they veered more towards the other end of the social spectrum. Uh, all lots of very wealthy athletic folks. Okay. Uh, but it was so yeah so it, it was cool to have this little group that was that was like me um what i was gonna say is like during this period so before you went to to um, university uh, given the sort of the career that that you've had like did you read magazines like was that kind of uh, for a lot of oh, people yes. i think the magazines are where you that's where you find your community you know it's just in these monthly magazines you get yes i devoured those there were also i don't i don't know they must not still have these, but there were magazines that would teach you how to beat arcade games. And I would read all these strategies for games. I was never going to get to play like how to bounce on your knees and joust <laughs> to, to slip between the, the floating islands, uh, dragon's lair strategies. I, I had that memorized. I never got to play dragon's lair. All, all these things just because I loved games so much. I loved the way they were designed. I loved the way they looked. I loved the marketing for them. I just loved all of it. It was just so remarkable to me. So I absolutely, I devoured those magazines. What I wanted to be more than anything was the editor of a video game magazine. Really? Like but from at, a young age? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's what I wanted. But at the time I entered the workforce uh, if you wanted to be the editor of a video game magazine, New York or Chicago or San Francisco. Okay. And I lived in Philadelphia and I could not fathom moving myself to a, a, another city in the hopes that I might be able to get a job. That just wasn't how it worked. So I, and the internet didn't exist yet. There was no such thing as an online editor. Yeah. That was, that was just not a thing. And so I entered the the air quote real world and i was an editor editing uh, encyclopedias and books and magazines and and all that for a long time but clearly you had While, those skills then so did you like yeah. purposefully go through university with the idea that i will be an editor of a video game magazine 
Oh, no. No, no, no. I was going to be an English teacher. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was going to be an English teacher. Uh, but the problem was, this makes me sound like such a jerk. Um, <laughs> I was only 19 years old when I graduated. Okay. So, yeah. So imagine a 19 year old teaching high school English. It's a little problematic. So I was like, okay, I need to just get a little older <laughs> and then I can go teach English. Because, like, when your students are dating people older than you, it's a little awkward. <laughs> so uh, that, that was That is very impressive that you graduated when you were 19. That is, that is amazing. I'm, I'm good at school. I, I do school <laughs> very well. Uh, so that was the plan. I was, gonna, I was just going to age a while. I was just going to cook for a little longer. And then I was going to go back and I was going to teach English. But in that time, I got an editing job and then another editing job. And I was like, no, this is, this is what I need to do. And and so with with going to university and finding your 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 peers and kind of loving video games, how can I frame this? Like, did did your did you ever sort of leave games? Did you ever move away from them, or were you always like undimmed? I love video games. I'm just going to keep playing everything. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, there were times when I I couldn't be in it as much just because I couldn't afford it. I, I missed, I was not a kid during the NES years. So that part of the culture, I don't connect with like there. Mm-hmm. Are, I mean, when you listen to most game journalists or even gamers now, they have these amazingly fond memories of, of the NES. And I don't, uh, it was, it was just a console to me and it just wasn't a big deal. But, uh, yeah, no, I, once I, once I bought my own systems once I could do that then I had every single system from then on because I could not stand the thought of there being a game out there that I wanted to play and not being able to play it because I didn't have the appropriate console and even even as you got older it wasn't a case of like okay I need to be a bit more serious now you were just like no because again like even even at at this stage it was still very much like a niche thing and and to all to, to some extent very much geared towards children still like in the kind of mainstream um interpretation of it children or dudes in their 20s yes although that was that was more the pc that was the pc stuff route yeah that was the pc route was dudes in their 20s uh and then yeah everything else was was basically for kids no i worked two jobs so that i could afford my video game habit i mean i was (laughs) which is kind of when i think about it now that seems a little disproportionate, but yeah, I was working like 70 hours a week so I could afford video games. And what is... in particular stands out from this period as being like, oh my God, this is all worth it. I, I'm happy to work these hours just because I can all experience this. All of it, honestly. I mean, I I had every single console. I had any game that I was interested in and, and I got to play because the here's where we start getting into the uh, employment part of it. My second job was running a gaming website, an enthusiast site. Well, I say job. I didn't get paid for it, but I yeah. got paid in games. So if I reviewed a game, I Just got a copy worthwhile. of the game. Yes, because then I could either keep the game or trade it in, and then that's how I got the other games I wanted. So I was like a one-woman review team. I reviewed everything. Oh, the fear factor you need someone to do that i'm your girl not a problem that incredibly terrible volleyball game i'm all about it give it here (laughs) i would just whatever they got on it like if you work at a uh at any site now you know that the site the stuff you get sent is garbage like if you're a a little site that doesn't track real well it's it's people just desperate to get any kind of coverage for their game that the big sites are not going to cover that's what i was reviewing and I was happy to do it, happy, because that was funding my video game habit. And that was letting me not only get the games that I wanted, but also I was exposed to so many games and so many different kinds of games and so many different levels of quality. It helped me understand what made a good game good, what made a bad game bad, the difference between uh, poor design and just a bad idea, like a, a good idea with just unfortunate design choices and something that was a bad idea from the beginning. And that ultimately helped me refine my critiquing skills, which helped me later get 
a job as a proper game journalist. Yeah, I was going to say that. So, so where was it purely through experience that you you kind of developed your 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 palette, so to speak, or your, your um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, your, your taste and you know your understanding of games to say this is a good game, this is a bad game, because you know it is games are one of those really tricky things where ultimately yes they are subjective, but there's also an element of functionality that has to be present mm-hmm. for it to, to work so it's always a, a tricky case so was it purely just through like the sheer volume of things that you played or was there specific people or, or, or maybe books that you read that kind of changed your your understanding of them sheer volume of games it was a combination of sheer volume of games and then also life experience because one thing that you you learn as you go through life is that there is a difference between I like this and this is good, or I like this and this is right. There are very, very few absolutes. You might be super into something that I can't stand. That's totally okay. We have different tastes. So that is a different subject over in like that's over here. And then over here is does the thing work? Yeah. Right. So that so the the playing games, just playing Dear God knows how many games that taught me a lot about what works and what doesn't. Uh, and as well as the elements of gaming that I enjoyed, whereas talking to other people, being on forums, uh, reading other reviews that taught me about, and this is something I still really love about this other people's perspectives when it comes to, okay, you and I have played the same game. I want to hear your perspective on your experience. And then I want to compare that to my experience because we went through the exact same content, right? We saw the same characters, the same yep. dialogue, the same control systems, all that. I want to know how you filtered that through your life experience. And then that in turn like widens things out for me. So I can say, well, I view it this way, but I understand that other people might have this experience with it. And and so those two things combined are what really sort of laid the foundation for uh my critiquing well amidst this kind of this this volume of games are there any standouts that like games that that kind of would have caused a real seismic shift in your understanding or or you know showed you the new new potentials new horizons for video games uh yeah i mean psychonauts was one Psychonauts was one because it taught me a lot of things. It taught me about not, it's not just good enough for the game to be good. It needs to be sold properly. The packaging for Psychonauts makes no sense. The mar- there was no marketing to speak of. You had absolutely no idea what that game was like until you played it. And when you played it, it's amazing. It really it, is. It's so funny the visuals are, are just charming and memorable. You know, it, I mean, we've played Psychonauts. We know. The ending is terrible. Let's just all admit that right now. Never completed the meat, it. Never could do the, the meat, meat circus. It's, it's a hate crime. It's awful. <laughs> but tons to love about that, that game, which ultimately didn't matter because it was sold improperly. So that's, that, was a, that was a big thing for me. Uh, Morrowind. Morrowind for the Xbox introduced me to the Elder Scrolls and introduced me to the idea of the open world RPG because I had never really played games on PC other than like, you know, like little the uh, Wheel of Fortune and, you know, game showy type little. Yeah. Oh, you must have played games. like the, the LucasArts games, though. Uh, nope. Really? That's I played surprising. Monkey Island. I played Monkey Island, but that was it. I played Infocom games. I played uh, okay. all of them. Uh, but no, nothing with. I didn't. I didn't have a computer that could do graphics so, until, gosh, my senior year of college. Okay. So I I played text adventures. Yeah, but yeah. No, see, this is. I mean, this is the other thing. Uh, again, I'm old, so I didn't have like my brother was off being popular, so he didn't have a computer. My dad couldn't justify a computer for himself. He didn't really want it. And so it was just too big an expense mm-hmm. for, for me to have just to play games on. So we had, a, we had a computer that would do word processing and play text adventures, but that was it. So, uh, yeah, I did not grow up in a house with a, with a computer, so I didn't the, 
and I, I never really got into it because uh, publishing is a very Mac-based uh, field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Fonts came out on Mac first. Desktop publishing was was Mac's claim to fame for a long time. And my entire career has been in publishing. So I knew Mac. So I just never had a PC. So, uh, yeah. So Morrowind was my entree into that kind of world, which I had never really encountered before. So that was mind-blowing. I had no idea such things were possible. That is amazing. Yeah. And what about, like, you're saying you get sent all these... Um... All, all the dregs you were just happy to to get anything basically because you got you were getting free games was there any mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious if there was any that you were sent that you know they were like oh this is this is nonsense and but it, w- it wasn't it was amazing like just some wonderful surprise in amidst kind of terrible licensed cash in games no oh <laughs> that's <laughs> no. very disappointing well, uh the, the first it was uh buffy the vampire slayer chaos bleeds that wasn't awful. that was on the xbox that was good yeah, that was the beat 'em up one. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it wasn't dismal. It could have been worse. Could have been a lot worse. Um, yeah, no, there was just a lot. I, there was just a lot of garbage. In there. <laughs> just a lot of not good stuff. But I mean, clearly, it, it kind of um, it, it didn't deter you from from pursuing your your career. So ultimately, I'm assuming you did end up getting a job. Well, I know you did. But hey, tell yeah. us the story of that. How did that come about? Uh, so I was. Uh, I was off in the real world, off in a cubicle, uh, writing about uh, editing magazines about construction equipment and safety standards. Yeah. Uh, And writing about video games on the side just because I loved them. And I had a blog on 1UP and the then news director of 1UP, Luke Smith, he now works at Bungie. He's the creative director on Destiny, said, uh, hey. You know, I've seen your stuff. You should write news for me. We don't we don't pay you, but you can write news for us. And I was like, happy to. Okay. So I wrote news for one up and I was doing that. Uh, Mind you, before then, I had been running this uh, enthusiast site for five years. What was the enthusiast site? Uh, It was called Game Helper. It no longer exists. But uh, yeah, that's that's where I got the bulk of my experience managing people, editing a team, doing reviews, like run, actually running a game site. And I did that for five years for free. And then I worked for one up for free. And then, uh, very shortly after I worked, worked for one up for a few months and then wired advertised for someone to do the exact same job, but for pay, it was a full-time job. And I applied for that and I got that. Amazing. And I did that for, it was, it was, Kind of weird. I, I applied for it. I'm like, they'll never come. Like, yeah, and then I ended up getting the job. Uh, and then uh, I did that for a little over a year. And then the escapist asked me to come to them and create their news and reviews sections because they didn't really have either. And they wanted to expand. So I went to the escapist and I did that. And I was there for five years and I ended up being editor in chief. And I went from there to Joystick where I was managing editor and I was there for about a year and a half and then AOL shut us down because they're idiots. And yeah. And uh, then I, I came to games radar where I have been for about a year and a half. That is, that is amazing. And also a blistering tour of your, your time uh, <laughs> in, in video games, but we'll, we'll come back to it. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you now a bunch of relatively quick fire questions. They're, they're never okay. that quick. Um, okay. So are you ready? Yes. Okay, Susan, what game are you best at? Oh, Maze, maze Craze. I kill Maze Craze? Seriously. I don't even know what that weird. is. Okay, so Maze Craze is an Atari 2600 game. And all it is, it's a big old maze. And you can make it, there's, there's different levels of, of complicated. You know, the easiest level is, you know, just a few twists and turns. And then the end one is quite complicated. And I don't know what it is. But I could just see the entire thing as soon as it came on screen and know exactly where I needed to go. No one has ever beaten me at it. Never. <laughs> that's that's an obscure choice, but that could probably help you out. Yeah. Like I'm saying, if I have to beat somebody, that's where I'm going. Because most of the games I play aren't really – like, is anybody good at Resident Evil? Like, are you good at Fantasy Star Online? It's just kind of not that – That is true. Are you – you know? I mean, I'm sure there is a, a Games Than Quick guy somewhere who's uh, right. unbelievable at both of those things. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. 
Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Does that did that translate uh, to the witness? Did you play the witness? I suck at the witness so bad. Okay, I, I was wondering if your so... your May skills somehow no, transferred, no, but clearly no. not. No. Well, see, the thing about the witness is, and it's genius. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's genius. It's not as simple as going through a maze. You also have to figure out is it you know go through a maze and divide the maze into sections so that this one's blue, this one's yeah, it's all that stuff. Um, and I just I appreciate the witness a lot. I don't enjoy it. Well, okay, <laughs> um, there's a full stop to that. No, I I I, I never finished the witness, but I did I did love it for the the brief time that I spent with it. Um, I got most of the way through. Anyway, okay, this is quick fire. Let's press on. Um, what game uh, has kind of consumed your life to the point where you've had to say, actually, no, I'm going to need to put that away because that's affecting my real world now? Oh, uh, Destiny. Mm. Destiny e- is one of those ones where I will look up and it's like, you need to go walk around for a while. Even even still with the latest expansion? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. First, what, what I do, what I'm going to do when I get off work tonight is I'm going to go downstairs and, and do the daily heroic. Yeah. Oh, man. Love it. Uh, like all, all characters? You've got three Max State characters? No. Nope. Nope. One. Well, who's, One. Your, who's your main? Uh, human female warlock. Okay, okay. She is the... The one I created in Vanilla Destiny, I have had her since day one. She is my one and only. That is, I mean, that is the one um, concession I made to not letting Destiny consume my life is I refuse to play more than one character. Uh, and then I, I definitely would kind of hit saturation point, which I did, unfortunately. I think I played it a little bit too much, so I've not really jumped in on the new the new uh, expansion yet, but I'm sure I will. Yeah. Okay, um, what is, if, you, if you're prone to such things, what was your worst rage quit? Oh, oh, Fable 3. Oh, my God. Okay, have you, did you play Fable 3? I did, yeah. Is that, okay. the, wait, is that the one where you end up being the king? Mm-hmm. Okay, no, I never finished it, but I did play it. Oh, oh, well then, okay. <laughs> this is clearly you. a store point. Oh, all right, so. First of all, I love the Fable series. Absolutely love it. And most of Fable 3 is fairly traditional Fable. Like, it's third-person adventure. You're, you know, it's kind of sort of Zelda-y. You're going out and finding treasure chests and, mm-hmm. and shooting enemies and blah, blah, blah. Fine. And then the last quarter of it is kingdom management. You are trying to build up the kingdom uh, enough so that when the opposing army comes in, you have enough, you know, you can, you can fight them off yeah. and you don't lose all your citizens. This is what you're working towards. So you're making all these deals and each deal benefits someone and then hurts someone else. You know, maybe this is the right thing for the environment, but it'll cost you money. That kind of thing. Okay, fine. I'm cool with that. I'm totally cool with that. Sounds good on paper. Right. No, I enjoyed it. So it's, and time is clicking by at a steady interval. You are told when you start, you have X many days until this army is coming. Cool. And time clicks by at a very steady interval. Every few days, you know you're going to have another decision you have to make. Every few, It's the same number of days. Until suddenly it isn't. Then you're like, okay, well, I've still got like 100 days left. And the game's like, oh, and then the last 100 days pass without it. And look at you. Oh, that's a shame. You don't have enough money in your armor, in your treasury. You're all going to die. What? Is that for real? Yep. (laughs) What what weird decision to make. I'm like, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, so I'm there and I had all of the money out of the treasury for something. I don't even remember what, but I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. I still have over a hundred days left to put it back. I'll be fine. And then with all the, with all the money I needed, to save my citizens in my freaking pockets, the end of the game plays out. Everybody dies because the game was just like, surprise, you're out of kingdom <laughs> management time. I was so angry. I did not speak to anyone for a full day. <laughs> I was so pissed. Oh. I was like, this is the most BS thing I have ever encountered. I mean, I was 
flames, flames on the side of my face. Like, oh, <laughs> I cannot remember being that angry about a, a, a game before or since. That is that is a good rage quit. Um, yes. Possibly the most intense we've had so far. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> on a much lighter note, Susan, uh, what game ha- has made you really laugh? Made me really laugh. It's tricky. Games aren't very good at that yet. They're really not. They're they're really not. Um, I love the Dragon Quest games. The puns are just... They're so strong. I hate puns, but oh my god, you just gotta love... You have to love the, the puns in the Dragon Quest games. If you're not familiar, listeners, the enemies all have these wonderfully punny names. Like... There's okay, so you call eggplants aubergines mm-hmm. over there. Well, one of the enemies is a wobergine. <laughs> That's and, awful. Right? It's just <laughs> the best. Oh God, I love it. Oh, so deliciously <laughs> terrible. Oh. So yeah, but as for actually like chuckling out loud, certainly not anything for a while. Yeah, no, it's tricky. Like, I mean, the, the kind of the common answers that tend to be the, the which we we know you don't have much experience with the the LucasArts adventure games, sure. yeah. um, Portal, and then just yeah. uh, multiplayer. Like, not really the fault of the games, or you know, right, just right. random events that happen that that made people laugh. But yeah, no, it's tricky. It's a really tricky one. What game have you ha- has caused the most arguments between you and and somebody else? <laughs> speaking of the competitive front soul caliber okay okay so, i'm assuming okay, there's a story so, uh, given that that cackle yeah so my ex was very much into fighting games okay and so we played them together and like virtual fighter i mean that's such a technical game it wasn't even fun for him to play against me because he would destroy me so quickly. We were pretty well matched in Marvel versus Capcom. Mm-hmm. But in Soul Calibur, I just crushed him. I don't know why. I don't I I, I was just very well tuned to that game. Who is your who's your character or was it any character? Uh almost any character but Lizard Man, bizarrely. I was sick with him. It was so stupid. <laughs> like, it's I it's surprising how much Lizard Man comes up as kind of uh, the the cause of, of arguments. I it was, I wanted to be cool with Ivy, but she was really, really difficult. So either Sophia or Lizard Man, and they play very, very similarly. And he could not handle the fact that I would beat him every time we played. He just he just couldn't take it. So that that got a lot of whiny grumbling and and. Like normally I was perfectly happy to soothe his ego for the sake of household harmony. But that one I was like, dude, suck it up. You beat me all the time. This just happens to be in my game. What is your problem? So yeah, <laughs> that one. Uh, that is, that is, uh, that is wonderful. Um, <laughs> okay. So we, we kind of breeze through your, your time um, working for various websites. They like the, the, the challenge I imagine especially like um, more recently when you're, you're in a much more senior position is is finding time to to still play games especially now when there's oh my god so many so many games yeah. like it's impossible yeah. to keep up anymore and as you said when you were younger you were like you know i couldn't i couldn't deal with the fact that you know a game would come out that i wouldn't be able to play and now there's probably 10 a day that is gonna yeah. just totally pass people by um how how do you like because I'm I'm keen to I'm always interested in this. How do you kind of deal with that or think about that? Or do you just play what you like and don't worry about it? Uh at this point I just play what I like and I don't worry about it. I do I will play if there are things that I feel like I need to know about. Like I felt like I needed to know about Overwatch. And I played Overwatch for a weekend. Heal of that game. I never need to play it again. It's not my it's not my thing, it's not my jam, but I I am glad that I know about it and that I understand it. Yeah. I one of the benefits of of being in a senior position is that I get to read the things because I edit most of the stuff that goes on our site. So I now know more about Metal Gear 
than you could possibly imagine, despite the fact that I've never actually played any of the games. And that's totally okay because I can appreciate the game through the lens of other writers. That goes back to, you know, being a kid and reading magazines and reading guides and stuff. You know, it's the same. Mm -hmm. It's kind of literary let's plays, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm also very fortunate that my husband is also a gamer. So he, he, I was, I was playing Destiny over the weekend and I just, I I was playing my very first Crucible matches ever. Really? I had never, yes. After so long? Uh, well, I don't, I don't do multiplayer shooters. But think of the loot, I, though. Think of the Iron Banner I loot. See, that's what, that's what it is. That's what finally got me in there. I'm like, my light is 348. Like, what am I going to do? And everybody kept saying, like, you got to play Crucible. That's where you get the best drops. Like, oh, my God. So I'm playing Crucible. And, and my, my husband comes down. And he's making breakfast. And he, he watches me for a second. And then he goes upstairs to his office. and on his way. He's like, have fun shooting, dudes. I'm like, thanks, honey. <laughs> and he goes off to play Mafia. And I play Destiny for the rest of the day. And so I'm very lucky to have a spouse who not only uh, is okay with me spending an entire weekend day playing video games, but gets it, like understands the appeal of that. So I do have uh, a lot of time to play video games. Well, not a lot, not as much as when I was younger, obviously, but um, I do have more than a lot of people do. And I don't, I take very few reviews now. So I, I get to play things at my own pace. I don't feel like I have to you know, finish at a, at a certain rate. I don't have a deadline. Like I'm, it'll probably be five years before I finish the Witcher. That game is amazing, but it's just so big. It really is. I made the foolish mistake of trying to start that again recently because I got, I got right to the end and then I don't know, other things came out and I just didn't go back to it. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm not going to appreciate it. I'm going to start again. And actually it was because I spoke to, who was I speaking to? Uh, John Davison. You, you, you must know John oh, Davison. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was on the show a few months ago, and we were talking about the um, the Witcher, and he was telling me his version of the Bloody Baron story, and oh, I had wow. no idea that they could be so different. Like I, I knew they was kind of divergent paths, but I didn't realize quite how intense the the differences could be. So I thought I'm going to start again. I'm going to I'm going to see a whole different game. And I I got about six hours in. I was like, this is a fruitless task. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this forever. And the thing is, like, you take something like Dragon Age Inquisition, and it, it's not as big as The Witcher, but it's very big. I think I ended up playing that for something like 106 hours. And a lot of that 106 hours was pure padding BS. You know, finding all the shards and all the little nicky-necky things they want you to find. It's just padding, right? And in The Witcher, it's great. Like, every side quest is interesting and gives you insight into that world. And lots of them link together in, in ways big and small, like the craftsmanship in that game is staggering. And you, it makes you want to do every single thing there is, which means it's going to take me five years because, Oh my God, that game is just so freaking big. And all I want to do is play Gwent. Oh, I got lost in Gwent. I had to, that, that was one of my, my, my things I said to myself. I said, well, you spent so long playing Gwent last time. If you just skip Gwent altogether, maybe you'll get through a bit faster, but no. And also no, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I know. It's a Gwent, really good game. Oh God. Gwent is so good. I cannot wait for that to come out by itself. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. One of the things that, yeah, this is something I wanted to bring up is um, because we kind of covered such a huge span of time, I'm just, I'm wondering if there was like key games that kind of stick out in, in your mind as being like, oh my God, this, this changes everything. This has changed how I understand games full stop. Because it's a big span wow. of time and games are so like, I think kind of, I'm not sure like exactly how old you are, but I imagine I'm probably about around the same age. And we're of that sort of generation where games have grown with us. Like we were mm-hmm. born, like just the exact right moment where yeah. Every year, it's just oh my god, they're better and better and better, and it's unbelievable. So for someone growing up as an enthusiast, there are like such significant milestones like along the way. So I'm wondering if like what games kind of stand out to you, for, for like personally, anyway. Oh uh, gosh, I, one game for me was uh, Fantasy Star Online because that was the game that let me understand playing online with other people. Mm-hmm. Because again, if you if you're not a PC person, 
that was a concept that was just mind-blowing 56k modems as well unbelievable absolutely unbelievable that that existed That game, that was me. That game was mind blowing. It was so ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Like being able to chat with people. That was like making play dates. That blew my mind. And just the the idea of a global gaming community. You know, people who are who all dig playing the same game and and being able to play with strangers. And that was that was very very life changing for oh, me. Unbelievable. That, that, one of my um, absolutely fondest memories of playing a video game ever is doing a run of Fantasy Star Online, and it was really late at night, and we got together, I think it was like a Friday night, and everyone was a little bit drunk, I think, because they'd all come back yeah. from the pub. And we were just doing like one of the regular runs, because it was only like four levels, so you just kind of run through again. Yeah. But someone had discovered or had just found the the Burning Rangers soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I didn't know yeah, that yeah. existed and they put the, the, the CD on and, oh my God, just running through that level with the Burning Rangers music on, it was just like, this is, this is the future. This is amazing. Like how, and then they would, they would do seasonal events. Like there would be the big Christmas tree. Yes, yes. And they, they make Valentine's quests and the idea of this persistent world, which now obviously is commonplace, was just so cool to me it felt so from the future and like Like, this is gonna uh, probably make you feel just as bad as it makes me feel that was almost 20 years ago i know it's unbelievable (laughs) uh more recently uh device six okay which uh in case listeners are not familiar it is a mobile game it is a game that can only be a mobile game and it's brilliant. Is this the it's, game now, just to set a scene, where you, you have, you send text messages or you receive text messages from somebody stranded on a planet? Nope, that's Lifeline. Lifeline, okay. That's Lifeline, which is also brilliant. But no, Device 6 is very, um, if you are if you remember the show The Prisoner, mm-hmm. it's very much channeling that vibe. You wake up on an island. You don't know how you got there. You don't know where you are. Everything is very mysterious and slightly menacing. And you solve puzzles to get to the end of the story. Uh, But the way the story is told and the way you interact with the puzzles can really only be done on a mobile device with uh, touch controls and also the the directional uh, controls. And it's just a – it's – that was the one that really cemented in my head that mobile gaming could be more than just, you know, match three kind of disposable. I'm, I'm waiting for the bus yeah, kind of games that there could be unique, immensely satisfying experiences on this platform. That was the one that really made me understand that. And, and given given the the kind of what's happening in in the the press currently and the the big news story at the moment, um, have you had that same experience, that same killer app experience with virtual reality? Well, okay. So here's my problem with virtual reality. I was I was super into it, and especially for Res because Res. God, I don't even know the appropriate appro- the appropriate adjectives to describe Res. It it is. It makes my heart bigger when I play that game. It is it is such a such a brain altering, wonderful, positive thing. And apparently, playing it in VR is even better. So I've heard. I've not tried it. Yeah, I yet. am. Well, here's my problem. I was super into PSVR, and then I tried the Resident Evil demo, and I got nauseous. Oh no! Yeah. So. I'm, I'm still, I'm very, very hesitant to, like, I don't, I have not purchased a PSVR. I don't know if and well, if and when I ever will, because like that was, I was, I was so jazzed for Resident Evil. I'm like, this is awesome. Like I did the kitchen demo and it was terrifying. The kitchen demo is what became Resident Evil mm-hmm. and it's terrifying. And I'm like, and I'm a big horror person. So something that can, can take me to the next level of a horror, horror experience. I was like, Yes sign me up and then as soon as i could actually move around in the game i was sick to my stomach so i don't know 
it's a little is that, tricky. Though. That that's maybe just the movement thing, though. Like the, from right. from what I've I've heard from various friends that have have been playing it the last few days, any game where you have horizontal or vertical movement that you're not that your body is not following along with right. tends to make you feel a bit nauseous. But the things yep. like Res and Thumper, which I I, I love Thumper so much, yes. um, are yes. perfect because you are static, but you can look around, which I think that's the the key kind of exciting part of it for me yeah yeah i've heard thumper is just amazing oh it's so good it's so difficult but i i i love that uh yeah it's it's really good um well susan i think um actually no um if, if you don't mind actually the, the whole reason that that uh i, I was sort of drawn to you to, to have you on the show was, was this story you told about your dad oh, yeah. and yeah. I, I was, if you don't mind, would you would you share that story? Because I think it's a lovely story. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So, uh, my dad, and and when part of when I think about um, gaming when I was a kid, it's it's with such fondness is because uh, my dad passed away when I was nineteen, so I didn't get to show him my career that I think he would have really gotten a kick out of. Yeah. So when uh, when I was little, my dad and I would would play video games. We, sometimes we'd play together, but mostly he'd either watch me or I'd watch him. And we played Missile Command, which was a, a wonderfully frenetic game, really fun. And so on, on, on old arcade machines, this is, again, a showing of my age, there was a thing called rolling it over. When the score displayed couldn't go high enough, it would roll back over to all zeros because it just didn't have enough digits. So my dad's playing Missile Command one day, and I'm watching him, and he's just doing really, really well. And then he gets the idea. He sees how well he's doing it, and he's, he's close to rolling it over. And so that becomes his mission. That's what he's going to do. He's just, he gets, and everybody, know, everybody who plays Missile Command knows that the secret to the high score is you, have, you just protect the one city right next to your cannon. That's it. Screw everything else. Everything else is just a sea of destruction, irradiated corpses as as far as the eye can see, and that one city next to your cannon that you keep safe. And so that's what he was doing. And just level after level after level after level. And I'm watching it, and I this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen in my life at that point. Because this is just because, obviously, to be good at a video game, you have to have godlike powers. And I already thought my dad kind of had godlike powers anyway. I was his biggest fan. And so he does it. Rolls the machine over. Cementing himself as a hero in my eyes for all time. And then he hands me the controller. I'm like, well, are you kidding me? My God. I'm like, I can't do this. I'll die. He's like, well, just, just yeah, you play now. He's like, I did what I wanted to do. You play. And so I took the controller and I did my best, and of course I died, like pretty quickly. Because to get to that level in in Missile Command, it's it's just crazy fast at that point. And I'm like seven, <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I'm just not going to be that good at it. And so I died, and I was terrified because my dad had spent like two hours playing this game to get to this point, and I've ruined it. I've lost. And I, I was so terrified that he was going to get mad at me. He's like, well, did you have fun? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. And he's like, well, then that's what matters. That's the point. And that was not something that had occurred to me. I was, the way I understood the world at that point was very goal oriented. You do a thing to achieve whatever. You run a race to come in first. You go to school to get an A. The idea that the journey or the experience might be the reward in and of itself was not a concept that I was acquainted with at that point. And so for my dad to not only not be mad at me, but to say, you know, who cares? You had fun. It's, it's not that big a deal. Really had a huge impact on me. And, and the way I, I view games, honestly that is a wonderful story um thanks very much for sharing um i i think we've covered all sorts of wonderful stuff here susan but if there's anything cool. that hasn't come up that you wanted to mention um and if you want to 
you know, let people know where you are online, etc. Then please, please do take that opportunity. Uh, you can, uh, I highly recommend checking us out at gamesradar.com. We're very strange people. We like a lot of very weird things. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Susan Arndt. Not particularly imaginative, but it makes it easy to find me. And I love listening. I love meeting new people. And I, I love getting to, to talk about games and different points of view because that's how I learn more. So uh, say hi. Well, that, that is, I, we will all definitely do that, I think. And most of my listeners, I'm saying <laughs> immediately I said most of my listeners are nice. That's the terrible terrible thing to say about my listeners i'm certain that they're all wonderful um i i have to say the people who i interact with on twitter are great they're really lovely like they're just this i this is this is the thing that bugs me i know the gaming audience has this really bad rep right now but the vast majority of people who play and love video games are awesome they're just lovely people who just really enjoy this hobby and are decent normal perfectly functional folks so yeah just remember that most gamers are great they they really truly are um and i think that's a nice message to end on um susan thanks so much for that that was good fun did you enjoy that absolutely excellent oh my pleasure Well, wasn't that lovely? Um, thanks again to, to Susan for, for coming on. And thanks to you, as always, for listening and downloading the show. Please do tell a friend, rate and review on iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, have a wonderful week. <laughs>